Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The NBA postseason is just about set. As we record this, there's still a couple games left to be played, but we have a great idea of whom will make the NBA playoffs, including, thankfully, our Los Angeles Lakers, despite it being one of the ugliest games you'll ever see. Nobody circles the wagons quite like the National Football League as those storylines continue to stay hot and quarterback questions remain for some of the bigger names in the sport. And, of course, in baseball, one team hasn't lost yet, and the pitch clock is making even 11-2 to two blowouts last no longer than two hours and 30 minutes. It's a beautiful thing, which we'll be happy to get into. But starting with the NBA postseason, especially earlier this week, dealing with the play-in games, which despite what some people say about them and not giving maybe as many teams an opportunity to make the postseason, it's certainly become thrilling, must-see television at least to see how the game is going to go because these are basically game sevens in a sense for some of these teams where their backs are against the wall. We, of course, know two teams have to win two games. One team's lucky enough to just happen to win one at a home game at that, but it's not always easy to do, and sometimes you're able to see an upset happen where we don't know the final tally as of now, but for the first time ever, we saw a 10 seed win its game and have an opportunity to get into the playoffs, potentially fueled by a star player's daughter at the free throw line. Could be a storyline in itself. Very interesting happenings in the first couple of games of these plans. What have been your thoughts so far on what you've seen slash despite it being one of the more ugly games you'll see in a season, the Lakers go from, I think I saw somewhere where at some point in the season, they had like a 0.3 chance of making the playoffs to getting back into the postseason. Crowd was ruckus to say the least for another quote unquote postseason game at whatever they're calling their stadium. Now exciting to have them back into the postseason, at least for our show. And those games don't disappoint. They haven't yet, which is exciting, I guess for the league. Well, big fella, it's good to be back, number one. Number two, we want to say hello to all our fans and friends. And number three, uh, they said it couldn't be done, but uh, the team that won't die survived. And it was not pretty by any means. And look, they squeaked by against the T-Wolves, a shorthanded, beat-up, Minnesota T-Wolves build a team in their building, in the Lakers building, Crypto.com Arena, in a game in which they are miserable. They're outplayed for three quarters in a few minutes. And then they climb the mountain, turn up the defense, shut down Minnesota, 
take the lead. Anthony Davis gets called for another mind-numbing, unbelievable, ticky-tack in this instance. Foul on, in this case, Mike Conley in the corner after a miss three, which Conley's landed. The ball is gone. It's a miss off the top of the glass. Davis comes in with a late closeout, and after it's all over, said, done, breathes on him. Conley falls down, three free throws. Sneaks the first one in, makes the next two in overtime, and the Lakers do go on and win the overtime, uh, despite numerous turnovers from LeBron James. Mindless plays, just the inability to get the ball in bounds twice. Cross-court passes by LeBron, fumbling the ball by LeBron, an exhausted LeBron, couldn't hang out of the ball, LeBron. But LeBron hit a couple of big shots. LeBron had 30. But he damn near gave the game away by himself. But they find a way, thanks to tremendous defense, uh, really led by Anthony Davis. I'm, I'm the Anthony Davis fan. It's as simple as that. I, I, I'm the guy. Nobody else can deal with him. Nobody else is like, you know, well, I need 48 minutes every game, game in, game out. Look, he's, he's not Giannis. You know, and, and this year, he's not Embiid. He's got as many rings as Giannis. He was the MVP in the bubble. He's been their best player this year, regardless of what you say about LeBron. He's the guy who put him on his back when LeBron was out. Did he have some games where he wasn't you know, doing 35 and 20? Yeah. He had some games where he went 15 and 12 or 20 and 10 or, or, or you know, 14 and 11. And some of those, they still won. But as Anthony Davis goes, it's how the Lakers go. They're not going to win without him, him playing terrific. He's the barometer. And I look at it this way. Everybody says, well, you know, they barely got in. And, you know, they beat Minnesota at home in overtime. Again, they should have won. Look, Lakers are 17-7 and seven in the playoffs. That's my approach. The Lakers have been playing playoff games since the All-Star break. Period. End of story. That's when they got all the game together with all the trades that were made. LeBron was out. And then he came out of that break. And my goal was for them to go 16-7 and seven, to get from five under to four over. I thought that would get them the six seed. They did. It didn't. They wanted to have a game behind the Warriors. I thought the Warriors would lose some more road games. They didn't. So they're in the seventh seed in the play-in. But they took care of business, barely, so then they get to rest. And practice. Together. This team has been together for barely a third of the season. And they have played must-win after must-win, after must-win, after must-win game. And yes, they're not great. And yes, they fritter away leads. And yes, they barely win games that they should have put away. And they lose games that they should win. But they've also won some games they should have lost. The bottom line is they're younger, they're more athletic, they can shoot it better. And for the first time in forever, they are relatively healthy, knock on wood. And that means everybody. And they're getting contributions from certain guys when other guys don't perform. Perfect example, the other night against Minnesota. D'Angelo Russell has a flat-out stinker, plain and simple. His worst game as a Laker was totally ineffective. And Vanderbilt was okay defensively, but, you know, not one of his better games. Schroeder has a fabulous game. 
and Hashimura comes off the bench with him, and has a terrific game. 12 points, bunch of rebounds, great defense, in down the stretch, hits the big three to start overtime. Schroeder and Davis take him the rest of the way. And AD is the man on defense, you know, both ends of the glass, getting big buckets, getting big blocks. And when they turned up the defense, he was the key. He switched out on every three-point shooter from Conley, who couldn't miss, to Towns, to Edwards, to Anderson. AD was everywhere. And he completely, his defense from 40 feet and in, completely shut them down. Completely shut him down. And Schroeder basically saved their bacon on the offensive end of the court. So they play on. But they get to rest. And they get to spend a little more time and get to know each other. Now, one of the reasons that they were in big trouble in that game was the old bugaboo. The team they played shot the lights out from three, and the Lakers didn't. And that's a barometer still of the Lakers, even though they're better shooting the basketball with Russell and with Reeves and with Beasley and with Achimura. If you put up a stinker from three against a good team, you're in trouble. I don't care where you're playing. If you shoot 25% from the three-point line against the team that's knocking down threes, you're in big trouble. And that's what happened to the Lakers. But they got shut down in the fourth quarter from three and everywhere else. And that's what turned the around because the Lakers didn't shoot the lights out ever. But they prevented the other team from scoring. And they finally hit a shot or two. Schroeder's three at the end of regulation. Achimura's three to start overtime. You know, and, and Davis all over the glass. So it was enough. But you have to realize this is not an all-time team. It's not a great team. It's a team that's been struggling all year, climbing up the mountain. Try and get to five, a couple times they're a game away from 500, boom, they lose again. Finally, they get to 500, they lose again. They lose twice. But then they rattled off four or five in a row, and they finished 43 and 39. And slowly but surely, they're getting healthier and healthier. I didn't think LeBron would be would have been back for the rest of the season. I was as a Laker fan, LeBron would be back for the playoffs. But he certainly looks fine in regard to his foot. He was gassed the other night, but I didn't see a real hindrance from the foot, nor did I see anything from Davis, who played massive minutes. So those are all good signs because, remember, there's no back-to-backs in the playoffs. And they get almost a full week of rest from Tuesday to Sunday. That's rest they haven't had since the All-Star break. So I'm not saying they're going to go in there and sweep Memphis. All the pressure's on Memphis. I'm sorry. I don't care what anybody says. They're the two seed. They've got home court advantage. I'll take my chances. I'll take my chances. You know, with a healthy team, knows how to win. It's got championship players. The big thing about the Lakers is they don't take care of business at home anymore. So you can't sit there and say, well, you know, they're going to get the three at home. You have no idea what they can do at home. You know, you have no idea what they can do anywhere. But we're in a lot better shape than we ever thought we were going to be in two months ago. With the trades, with the good health, with the seventh seed, and the two best players looking relatively healthy, and 
everybody contributing. Not everybody at once. Because <laughs> if everybody contributed at once, they would win use by 20 points. But everybody contributing to the point where they're winning enough games to play on. And that's still what it's about. You don't have to go out and win series four games to one. You got to win four to seven. Now, do you want to go seven games? Of course not. If you don't have to demolish people in, in, in the playoffs, you have to win the game by a point and then move to the next one. So I am happy where they are, and I'll take my chances with uh, you know with Memphis. Jaws going to be a load, but I'm not going to sit and say I think the Lakers are the better team, but I certainly think the Lakers have a pretty darn a pretty darn good chance to win that series. I really do. And then you know we see what happens everywhere else. You know, are the Heat going to play on after getting beaten at home by Atlanta? Toronto's gone after blowing a big lead at home. I am anxious to watch Oklahoma City as much as I can see them play because they are incredibly fun. They are young to the, I mean, these guys are 25, everybody's 25 and under on the entire team. It's ridiculous. I mean, SGA Shigilgis Alexander is a blast to watch. Uh, you know, the, the kid, uh, Josh Giddy, who's he's only 20, six foot eight, point guard slash shooting. You know, he's, he's really a combo guard at six foot eight. And Alexander, and this is a team that just doesn't live and die from the three. They go to the rack. Alexander is, she gives Alexander that always at the foul line. Why? Because he goes to the basket. That's how you get to the foul line, you attack. He's a, a blast to watch. They're incredible. They are incredible incredibly exciting to watch and we'll see if they survive because they are playing Minnesota to see who the eight seed's going to be because now the Lakers have salted away the seven seed where they are not so impressive over time with the other night. So it's going to be very exciting in both conferences. You know, we've got playing games tomorrow night, East and West. He tries to stay alive. Um, We'll see if they pull it off. We'll see if they pull it off against the Bulls, you know, who had their big comeback and sent Toronto packing in Toronto with, as you alluded to, DeMar DeRozan's daughter making a a complete nuisance of herself. And she's adorable, don't get me wrong. She's very cute. But the screaming and a couple free throws, okay. But, I mean, people are relatively quiet in Toronto when the opposition was shooting the free throws. And excuse me, when they're shoot, obviously when their own team shooting their free throws, uh, which obviously makes sense. Listen to me, um, but they miss eighteen to thirty six free throws in their own building, and she's screaming on every one of them, and you can hear her. Her father said, "I was like, what was that?" And I, I was surprised they didn't tell her after the first few that she really shouldn't do it anymore. But she kept doing it, and they kept missing. And I don't think I've ever seen a game where a team has missed, shot that many and missed that many. You know, 9 for 20, 9 for 22, but 36 is a ton of free throws, and you only made half of them in your own building, and that's the game. And now we see if Nick Nurse walks away and that that coaching position, if that coaching position is open. So uh, it's going to be a very interesting postseason, incredibly interesting. The West is up for grabs. I don't care what anybody says. 
I still think the East is, you know, Milwaukee and Boston. It was the perfect storm in Toronto for what happened with DeMar DeRozan's daughter because, of course, he played there for nine years. So she grew up around a lot of who's already on this Toronto Raptors team. The players are probably looking at her like, I mean, well, we can't really say anything. Canadians in general, overly kind people. So nobody's going to get out of their seat and tell this girl to pipe down. It almost just comes down to like how you handle that as a parent. And we've seen it everywhere at little league games, at basketball games, at concerts, in supermarkets. There's the parents that kind of let their kids go. And there's the other parents that as soon as something like that starts happening, hey, pipe down. You do a couple of those and then mom or dad to look at her. All right, that's enough. Or we're leaving. We're going to the car. You want to keep this up? You're making a fool of me. Enough. Or you jovially look at how many free throws are being missed and say, you know what? You might as well do this every time. It's helping daddy out. Screaming. It's helping daddy's out. Daddy's team's winning. Keep on screaming. Now, it also came out after the game because this was a story. It went viral, so they asked him about it, of course. And I guess she's not making the trip to Miami because she's got to go to school. I don't know if they're still living in Toronto or somewhere in Canada or wherever they're at. She's got to go to school. She's not going to Miami. I think the reason is Pat Riley wouldn't take that shit. You think Pat's going to let this girl scream her brains out behind the basket and watch his team miss free throws? Absolutely not. He'd march down from his box within a one-and-one situation. He'd be there for the second free throw. She'd be taken out of the stadium. Enough. Miami fans aren't going to put up with that, especially after she went viral like that. They'd be throwing stuff at her. She'd need a security guard around her. But get ugly. I mean, you could use school as a crutch, but it's also the Miami Heat fans. Probably not something you want to be dealing with. Not as nice as Toronto fans would be. But it was hysterical that like this was a thing. And you could clearly hear it. It was like that, that whack job at Vanderbilt that whistles during the college games. Or like the drum for the Cleveland baseball team that you hear. I mean, some of that stuff just becomes white noise in a sense if you're playing. If it's done around the same time period. Well, you're watching on TV. It was funny to watch the evolution on Twitter of people being like, who the fuck is this girl screaming her ass off? Get her out of there. And then, oh, it's DeMar DeRozan's daughter? Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> she sorry. can stay. Never, never, mind. never mind. My apologies. Mind. My apologies. Yeah, of course, you had the uh, your guy, the Speedo Man, and Cameron Indoor. Of course. so Renowned. For that moment. Speeder guy. They don't do enough of those anymore. They just shake their hands and stuff. Nobody's taking off their clothes. Who was it? Arizona yeah, State that had that curtain of doom or whatever it was called. They always yeah, had something see, different. That, that stuff to me was always should not have been allowed. <laughs> you know, you, you want to scream, you want to shout, you want to wave. But, you know, the, the, the putting up signs and distractions and, you know, dropping curtains with people in goofy outfits or wearing next to nothing that that's going above and beyond. It's not a question of even good or poor sportsmanship. It's just a question of those are not the type of distractions I think should be permitted. And if I want to sound like an old, the old fart, the old man in the room, 
I am the old report. So. <laughs> Not a fan of the Jamie Dixon whacking, waving inflatable arms in the Jamie back. Dixon's, Jamie Dixon's a tool. TCU I've fans never liked, waving his arms, that big cardboard cutout they have. I've never liked Jamie Dixon. I don't think people realize how many distractions the stuff, uh, the happen. Stuff, the stuff behind the basket. The stuff behind the basket to me is, you know, that's in view when you're shooting free throws. That stuff's got to go. I don't think people realize what happens during a free throw just on the floor. Like, there's obviously you could put your arms up. People on the defense try to do that in the lane. But now you have the players overly communicating on purpose for that to be a distraction. You can't hear it, but you could watch it on TV. You know, they're pointing at the coach. Who you got? I'm boxing out this guy. I'm going over here. The coach is screaming stuff. The Everybody's like communicating. Are interminable. Walk back and forth. Okay, I'm going to go over here. Now let me go over here. Wait, I'm over here. Right. I'm boxing up this then guy. Okay, let me substitute this guy real quick. Let me get him in. The, the horn goes I'm off. Substitutes it. You come over here. You get this spot. Any I edge you can get. I want to go over here. Teams will try it now. Or, I mean, they'll grab the ball after you make it, and they'll kind of walk up to you, and they'll say something like, you're going to miss the next one. You know, trash talking's happening, taunting. There's a lot going on just on the floor. And now you've got somebody screaming their lungs out in the crowd next to the, the big cardboard cutout head of whatever player or coach picking his nose. It's a lot going on. Shout out to the free throw shooters with high percentages. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I think if you asked any Lakers fan, I mean, at several points during the season, AD's injury, LeBron's injury, before the trade deadline, Russell Westbrook played on this team. I think people might be forgetting that. Remember? Pat Beverly was on this team. Remember that? I think it's like slowly but quickly getting washed away just where this team was at different points of this season. The same, they've got the same two principles, and I'm not going to say they have rectified the Russell Westbrook trade, but you can see the similarities of this roster versus the championship roster. Obviously, you have the two mainstays. You know, at the point guards, you've got Russell and Schroeder instead of Danny Green and Rondo. At the off guards, you've got Reeves and Beasley instead of Colwell Pope and Caruso. You have Vanderbilt and Hachimura instead of... uh, trying to think who was the other besides Kuzma was there another forward that played a lot and you got Brown who's pretty good uh, but you're in the two big guys you know which is a big difference um, you know you don't have Dwight Howard and you don't have uh, the other big guy who's down in Dallas and now you got Mobamba how much he'll play I don't know but that's to me they, they've kind of supplanted those same pieces from the championship team with not all similar pieces, but they've replaced the guys with depth pieces that all do some of the same stuff, but not exactly the same way. 
you know, Reeves is kind of like Caruso, but Caruso was defense, Reeves is offense. Right? Uh, Kuzma and Vanderbilt, Kuzma's offense, Vanderbilt's defense. Schroeder is kind of Rondo. Beasley is kind of a combo Danny Green, Caldwell Pope. And it, it's, it's, so far it's worked. And, but they're younger than all those guys, with the exception of Caruso. This group is much younger. Caruso and Kuzma were the young guys. These guys are all the complimentary guys that came in, except for Schroeder, was already there, are all younger, 25 and younger. You know, Beasley might be 26 by now. You know, Reeves, you know, it's 23, 24. Vanderbilt's 23, 24. Uh, same thing. Bamba, same thing. So much younger, maybe a little more athletic. But again, it's varying skill sets. Uh, but like we talked about, that Laker team, one of the reasons they won a championship, one of the big reasons was their ability to defend all spots on the floor with versatile defenders. Now, I don't think this team is as versatile defensively. Vanderbilt is. Reeves is pretty versatile. But, you know, they all can't guard the way Caruso, Caldwell Pope. Um, you know, Kuzma was a pretty good defender. So they, they had versatile defenders. This team's got them. They may not have the same all-skill set defensively and quite as – uh, strong man-to-man wise, but and Pope was a very good defender, but they do have the ability with their athleticism and their length to once again guard the three. Guard the three. It's the most important element of defending. Guarding the three, controlling your glass. If you can guard the three and control your glass, you're in good shape, period. Period. It's as simple as that. And find ways to score. And they have two premier players who not only can find ways to score, but can get other people involved to find ways to score. So I think this team is kind of similar in terms of what they've done personnel-wise. You can't undo the rust trade because it costs you, you know, almost two years. But I think Polinka has done the best possible reversal of fortune in doing what he did uh, before the deadline to revamp the roster. I think you could almost look at what we'll see in the first round of the postseason, similar to how you would look at an NCAA tournament team that maybe had some of their star players hurt, nicked up, and they didn't play them a lot down the stretch or in their conference tournament because they didn't want to risk them getting hurt more. But they obviously come back for the biggest show in March to try and win the whole thing. There might be a little bit of rust, but it'll be a team that not a lot of people have seen play together in quite some time. For this Lakers team, it's a group that has barely played together at all in some aspects of it figuring out who's the starting five should be, who should be coming off the bench, how the rotations will go. You mentioned it earlier. This week off for them, I think, is an important thing. Not a week off, but close to it. Where they can practice some things and get to know each other a little bit better. And rest. And, and rest. rest. And rest. 
And, you know, the, the rest of the West, incredibly interesting. I mean, you know, Phoenix, they don't lose when Durant's in the lineup. He doesn't lose when he's in the lineup, no matter where he plays. I, I still have, and not because the Lakers are in the West, just as a fan, look, Durant's broken down continually. Can Durant, now that he's back and healthy, stay healthy for an entire playoff run? Chris Paul always gets hurt. Now, I, I don't think they you know, need what they've needed from Chris Paul in the past because they have Durant. And they have you know, two absolute premier scorers at the highest possible level of the game. You know, in Durant and Book. Booker is fabulous. He's a tremendous player, tremendous offensive player. You can make the argument that you know, Booker is the offensive. He's probably the equal, if not greater, as a scorer than Kyrie. So it's probably a better combo than Kyrie and Durant, Booker and Durant, because I think it's a little more versatile. Um, but you know, I could I could see people arguing the other way because Kyrie's more of a point and can get other people's shots, including Durant. Do you might prefer that combo? But you know, I, I think you know Booker's a better defender. Uh, Booker's bigger. I think Booker can. Um, well, Kyrie can really make some difficult shots, so it's just really tough to say he can make more difficult shots than Kyrie, because uh, Kyrie's a fabulous offensive skill. Is a fabulous offensive skill set. So, I mean, whichever two you want to say is, is superior, the other one isn't far behind. But they've got them, and they're both healthy. You know, they've got Eaton and they've got Paul. They're not as deep as they were, but you know, when Durant's healthy, he's he's tough to beat. Again, will he stay healthy? We'll see. Um, but they open with the Clippers. So from a Lakers standpoint, one of them's going to be, if the Lakers survive, one of them's going to be gone. You don't have to beat both those teams. So I was thrilled when that was the 4-5 matchup. Absolutely thrilled. And the more I thought about having to play Sacramento, I was like, let Golden State play. You know, Memphis is tough, but I'll take my chances with Memphis. You got to play, you know, look, you got to play every, you, know, you, you can't dodge everybody. I, I was happy from a matchup perspective, that they were not, because they can't beat the Clippers. We know that. Lakers haven't beat the Clippers in, in three years. I believe it's close to three years. Um, it's just a bad matchup. And they can't stop Norman Powell. So uh, let let the, the Clippers and the Suns knock the hell out of each other. Somebody win in four, whoever. It's just shows the Lakers that have to deal with them. And uh, it'll be very, very difficult series. Absolutely. Jaron Jackson Jr., um, obviously, Ja, uh, Bain is very good. They don't have the big man, so that is uh, that's a big loss. Uh, you don't have the Mountain Man Adams, so I'm looking forward to it starting Sunday. And again, uh, to me, all the pressure's on them. The pressure shifts to the Lakers when they're down one nothing. That's when the pressure shifts to the Lakers. Down one zero, game two in Memphis. So I'm going to enjoy having no pressure for the next four or five days since the last six weeks was nothing but. So, and to me, the East, you know, I can't wait to see what becomes of the Bucs. You know, the team that I think is the best team with my favorite player, Drew Holiday, and the best player in Giannis. 
You know, Middleton, they say his knee has no structural damage. He's important to them. He's not vital like he was a couple of years ago, but he's important. I don't think can I don't think they can go through an entire playoff run without some positive contribution from him. He doesn't have to be totally the second go-to guy every night, but he's got to help them out in a few games. I don't mean score like 40, but you know, he's got to go out in a couple wins a series and have 22 or 24 in you know, like two of their four wins. That kind of contribution. Because they get more from other people now. Obviously, they get much more from Lopez. They get more from Holiday. And they get more. They Grayson Allen, who everybody loves. Of course, you, his favorite player. Connaughton sometimes. You know, various guys coming off the bench. Obviously, Bobby Portis has been terrific. So, you know, them in Boston, if they face off, should be a great series. And you got the MVP. But how far can he go? How far can Joel Embiid take the Sixers? Along with, you know, a contribution from uh, the old gagger himself, fat old man, James Harden. I don't know, but I'm anxious to find out. Yeah, I wouldn't put down a billion dollars on this to go chalk like Charles Barkley might tell you to do because his first couple billion dollar bets didn't fare so well the other night. I think the East will be more chalk than the West will be. And that's no surprise. That's kind of how people have expected it to go, that the West will have more exciting series. But you got to play the games. We should see some great matchups. And one more time, as Lakers fans, it's happy to be here. Now let's go win a couple. You can't be, well, we could have maybe won this one and got the six seed. It's happy to be here and win that dastardly game against the Timberwolves. First time all season, I said, let me sit down and watch this game in full. You know, you flip around during the NBA season. There's a couple games on different times. You want to catch different things, see the end, whatever. Let me watch this in full, get my first game under my belt. Couldn't have picked a worse game to do that with. I said before the show, it was like watching a round of 32 game in the NCAA tournament where nobody could score. Turnovers galore. Who's going to have the ball last and hang on to it? Maybe they'll win. That turned out to be the Lakers. And then Anthony Davis did hit Patton in wrestling move of fouling the only guy that you can't foul in that situation. Conley standing in the photographer's pit. He's going to hit the backboard. And you barrel into him and send him to the line. Jesus. Shout out Dennis Schroeder, though. Big shot. And shout out LeBron for doing what he always does and making the right basketball play. Sorry, I have haters. said this for now years. I'm not going to say 20 years, but in the last few years. And I asked Brian Scalabrini on the starting lineup this very simple question this morning. I've talked about it with Frank Isola in the past. When you were in the situation the Lakers were in, whether you're in high school, college, or the NBA, the other team has the ball, inbounding, side court, in the front, you're up three, there's a second and change, 1.3, whether it's 1.33, whatever the case may be. Why don't teams zone the three-point line? Guard, no one, unless they're in your area. One guy at the short corner, one guy on the weak side, the far corner where 
Mike Conley was, two guys on the wings, one at the top. And don't worry if anybody goes by you because that's a two. There's no time to do anything except catch and shoot. So you attack the pass. You simply attack the pass. If you foul, you foul on the catch. Right. Otherwise, you push them so far out, all they can do if you're not going to foul is catch and instantly shoot. And you're right there. You don't have to worry about screens. You don't have to worry about chasing guys. You're already there. They're, they're in essence, coming to you versus you chasing them because you're just playing the area. And you're going out. You're never going backwards. You're never retreating. You don't go for any jab steps. You don't go for any step backs. You're always thinking, go back, push them out. Push them out. Push them out from the area that you're zoning. Attack the pass. Attack the cat. Attack the pass. And nobody does it. For those listening that might not be able to picture this, just picture the three-point contest during NBA All-Star Weekend, and a defender would be standing where the ball racks are around the three-point line. Exactly. The racks are guys. The racks are players. I don't get and it. And that's what you do. And like we've seen. I don't want to say it's innovation, but we it's become more popular. First of all, it's become more popular to throw that pass to the far corner. I think it was the Raptors that did it in the postseason. We saw that huge pass across the court after they set those screens up, made the three and one, and people couldn't believe that you would allow a player to get over there. It takes so long for the pass to loft to that part of the floor. How could you allow that to happen? The Lakers did it with Matt Ryan early in the season. Yeah. In the, right. in the game in the game where he hit the impossible three, basically from where Mike Conley was, off the catch, going out of bounds, nothing but net that sent the game into overtime that they ultimately won. That was one of the ones where they should have lost it, and they won it. Yeah. The so, kitschy play in the tournament, the NCAA tournament, has been the inbound play when you're the team that's winning and the other team's trying to follow you after a made basket where you have the entire team lineup out of bounds. And then the opponent doesn't know if they're all going to stay there to catch the pass. Cause you could throw one out of bounds where everybody's going to run. It's kind of like you're a football team and you're hiking the ball in a sense. And everybody just scatters. It's so mm-hmm. much harder to defend that to then have to chase somebody down and follow them. So that's kind of been an innovation that's become more popular. I don't know who the first team is going to be to, B up three with a second or two left, side out of bounds that just says, we're going to stand at all the five main spots and see what you do. Nobody's done it yet that I could remember or have seen because I'm sure that's going to be something that's all over sports center and everything else. Look at this defensive setup. What a call. I've suggested it time and time and time again, and nobody does it. It makes no sense that you're shadowing a guy grabbing his jersey right up in his grill so that all somebody needs to do is just put a hip out or a leg and set a pick and you're done because the offensive guy knows exactly where he's going and has the advantage. I don't get it. Anyway, there's your little scenario recap slash preview of the NBA postseason. The first round usually can be boring sometimes, but as we said, we'll see how it plays out, and we'll be talking about it for the next 17 years until the end of the summertime because 
Yay, NBA postseason. Strap in till June. And then maybe start paying attention. Those June fans shocked to know, uh, yeah, we've been subjected to this since April. <laughs> Mid-April, the postseason starts. My Thank goodness. You. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Quick note on the National Football League, not to play homer to my co-host, but sometimes I like to do that to get his insight because he follows the situation. But this is also something that's on a more national scale for two reasons, a twofold. First is Odell Beckham Jr., getting signed by Al's Baltimore Ravens, $15 million guaranteed. One might jokingly say the Ravens have finally signed a wide receiver for Lamar Jackson. The other side of that is that's the guy you're going to pick now, not Odell from years back. This Odell for that amount of money, and you don't know if Lamar is actually going to be your quarterback or not? Oh! <laughs> so... Wherever optimism or pessimism you want to take this, is OBJ going to be what gets Lamar to stay in Baltimore? Does this do anything for your current situation as a fan, Al, or do we still have to wait and put a lot more pieces together than just, yeah, we'll sign this old guy. We'll give him the most money, you would think. I don't know who else was going to throw down $15 million for Odell Beckham Jr. and his, however his knee looks. An interesting move, but maybe this is trying to move in the right direction, woo the quarterback back, I have no answer for it. Maybe you can help us out and try to make I, sense of this. I think it's a combination of all of the above. Remember, the Ravens need wide receivers. They have a certain amount of cap room. Eric DaCosta, the GM, is a genius with the cap machinations. They didn't sign him to a 10-year deal. They signed him to a one-year $15 million deal can go up to 18 million with bonuses. That'll get prorated over four years, you know, which is the standard scenario. And it'll be, you know, three, seven, five a year against the cap for the next four years. Um, they can live with that. And he's 30 years old. I'm sure the doctors checked him out and he's healthy. And yeah, you had to pay more than anybody else to pay him to get him. Simple as that. But if you look at the rest of the wide receivers out there, the other option, Hopkins, is making even more money with more years left on the contract. And even though he's a terrific player, he's on the other side. So this is a guy who was out there who wanted to come, whose defense, excuse me, offensive coordinator is the same guy that he played for in Cleveland. So there's a connection there. He's buddies with Lamar. There's a connection there. You're showing other wide receivers you're willing to spend. You're showing Lamar we're willing to go out and get the guy. They also got you know Nelson Aguilar, who's a, you know at times has been a pretty good player when he's not dropping passes in Philadelphia. Certainly a deep threat. So they've added Beckham. They've added him, and it gives them some options in the draft where they don't have to draft a wide receiver with the 22nd pick. They can move back, as Eric DaCosta did last year, uh, by making a trade where he tried Hollywood Brown um, and pick up, picked up another pick. But they could trade their first-round pick for a later pick. 
or an early second round pick and another second round pick if they can pull that off. And possibly instead of drafting a wide receiver with the first pick, take the cornerback and the wide receiver with the next pick if they can get an extra pick. That's what I think that they will do. I have an inkling that's what they're going to do. I think they're going to trade either out of the first round or later in the first round for somebody who wants to move up. For example, the Texas running back, if he's still available, whatever the case may be, um, and get either a later first round pick or two second and a second round pick or two second round picks and get their cornerback and wide receiver that way. That's what I'm thinking. Who knows? But it was a stroke of genius by Eric DaCosta. Some people they say overpaid. Well, he, he's playing for his supper because, you know, if he has a lousy year and is a malingerer and is not all of the things everybody's saying he is now, which is a winning player and a good influence, which he's been since the Ram days uh, of a couple of years ago versus the guy who was lifting his leg at kicking nets in Giant Stadium. If he's not that guy. If he's the Rams guy. Then you got yourself, you know, a quality wide receiver is a big time deep threat and can make contested catches all over the field for a year. And if he has a really solid season, he'll get another deal somewhere else. Probably not with the Ravens, but who knows? But you know, there's a huge impetus for him to play well because he's only 30. I don't think he wants to retire after this year. You know, if he's healthy, it's all about the bag. And you know, as much as he loves Lamar, I, I don't care what these ex-players say about you know when he says he's, he knows he's coming. You know, they talked. I'm sure they talked. Obviously, but if it's 15 million for the Ravens and five million for the Jets, with Aaron Rodgers still in limbo, I'll take my chances with the Ravens. It's three times as much money. I can talk to your blue in the face. 15 million, 5 million. It's not a question of being all about the money. It's a question of it not even being a contest about the money. It being a no-brainer about the money. You know, if the Chiefs offer 5 million and somebody offers 15 million, well, you can think about, well, they're the champs. They're going to be good for a really long time. Patrick Mahomes is throwing to me. I have a season with that, a good season with them with bonuses. I can build into a contract for next year. But, you know, it ain't the Chiefs offering $5 million. But we don't know who offered what. The offers were supposedly around $5 million or $6 million. The Jets was going to be an incentive-laden contract. I'm sorry. You're always talking about the Jets. First of all, they don't have Aaron Rodgers yet. And even if they do, they're making the Jets sound like, you know, they're the 72 Dolphins if they get Rodgers. Last time I checked, the Bills are still in that division. The Dolphins are in that division. And yeah, the Patriots are still in that division. So even with Rodgers, the Jets are no slam dunk. So I, this was a great deal for obviously him. And I think it's you know, a great deal for the Ravens because they got something they desperately needed. Yeah, they paid a premium for it. That's usually the case. But they did it on a short-term basis. And it can't hurt in the scenario with the quarterback. It can only help. And if it's not enough, it's not enough. If he doesn't come back and they wind up with the two picks, terrific. You know, they draft the quarterback. Or they trade 
those picks and, and do something else and get more picks and sign Teddy Bridgewater. But I'll be shocked if at the beginning of the regular season, you know, Tyler Huntley is the Ravens quarterback. And I think we all think it's probably still going to be Lamar Jackson. On what terms? Remains to be seen. Well, I don't but know if you want reason. him back, Al, because Ben Roethlisberger said today, "You don't fear him right. just sitting in the pocket and picking you apart." How and much was Ben? How much did Ben had to drink? If anybody, if anybody is the czar and who you should be listening to on this, it's certainly Ben Roethlisberger. Well, look, you know, in, in a way, look, Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Famer to be. He's got his two Super Bowls, and you know, look, he's not off base. I'm surprised he comes out and becomes that critical. You know, out of the game that quickly, but you know, Lamar is not known for standing back in the pocket and throwing for 450 yards, uh, you know, on a week, week in, week out basis. He has some big games, some big throws from the pocket, but a lot of them are on the move. You know, a lot of big plays with his legs makes things happen. He is not the pure pocket passer. We know that. You know, he doesn't have that kind of accuracy. He doesn't have. He's got a pretty strong arm. You know, it's not a Josh Allen arm, right? Uh, it's not Mahomes. It's not the accuracy of Rodgers. Uh, none of those guys. No, he's not in that class as a thrower. He's above all of them as an athlete. That's what they've centered their offense around. Now they got a new coordinator, Todd Monken, who's a genius, both levels, NCAA, NFL, and he will do a fabulous job no matter who the quarterback is. You watch. This will be a different offense, even if Lamar Jackson is back in it, the way they're going to operate. Uh, because it has to be. You can't keep taking those kind of hits if you're a Lamar Jackson if you want to have not a 15-year career, but a 10- or 12-year career where those last three years are knocking around and trying to find a place to be a starting quarterback. For a starting quarterback in the National Football League, for 10, 12 years, which is another six or seven years for him, it's got to be spent with more time in the pocket and less time running around. Still run around, but as, as Robert Griffin III, Cam Newton will both attest, the longer you do it, the better chances they're going to catch you and hurt you. I would say till now, and I'm sure for several more years, the quote for me would be, you fear him because he doesn't just sit in the pocket. And he picks you apart because of that. Where if nobody's open, he takes off. 30-yard first down. Little five-yard pass here. Now he's running again. Because he's not in the pocket is what I would be fearful about if I was a defense. But as we've been talking about for a couple of years now, with the injury risks and how the offense looks and who's around him. If they put the right cards down on the table, I'm telling you, give me Lamar Jackson and let's have some fun based off what we've seen around the national football league. Some of the other options you could do a lot worse than Lamar Jackson. Well, absolutely. You know, I, I want one more guy to throw to, you know, whether it's, you know, and there's, there's a, a long list of them coming up in the draft and some are ranked higher than others. And they all have their, uh, high points. They all have, you know, a couple warts here and there, whether it's drops or lack of size or root running, 
whatever the case may be, they play inside, they play outside. There's enough guys there that have a kind of skill set that will help the Ravens and are an improvement over what they have now in the that they can get somebody in the first two rounds, whether it's Quentin Johnston or Jalen Hyatt or Zay Flowers or Jordan Addison. Uh, the kid from Ohio State, I think, will be gone and gone early. But there'll be guys even hanging around mid to end of second round that can go in and I think have a positive effect uh, now that they have the addition of Odell Beckham Jr. to go with the healthy Bateman and go with the healthy Duvernay and the tight end group that they have. So they've already, you know, and, and, you know, obviously Aguilar is a fringe, but still he's an improvement. But bringing Beckham in really increases the level of the group where now the next guy doesn't have to be a world beater. He can be a rookie who can come in and help. And then if OBJ is not back next year, be the guy who steps into his shoes. That's what they did with this move. They gave themselves more versatility in the draft, more options in the draft. And Eric DaCosta has shown for years he loves options in the draft. He loves to trade pack, loves to get more picks. They're known for taking best player on the board. So now it's really a crapshoot in what you're going to see that they're going to do. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lund, enjoy your baseball still early on. The undefeated, unbelievable, untied Tampa Bay Rays, uh, who are on their way to a 160-2 record. And NBA play-ins tomorrow night to finalize the playoff field. And the series begin this weekend for the big man. The new report, John Tiny Lund, IML, Renato, AKL from what plays. The old report. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.